Hello and welcome to the CEO as Activist podcast series brought to you by Business in the Community Ireland, the country's leading network for sustainable business. In continuing on the theme of CEO as Activist, today's episode goes back to our 11th annual CEO Breakfast Forum and we'll hear the panel on the low carbon economy. The business leaders of this panel from the EPA, Airgrid and IBM Ireland rallied business support for immediate action and were inspiring and thought-provoking. The panel was chaired by our Head of Advisory Services, Bernadette Phelan. Having a stable society is necessary for business. We also need a stable planet. Our next conversation is going to explore our transition to a low-carbon economy and the role business is going to play within that. We all know that transitioning is what we need to do. There's been some extremely stark messaging over the last few weeks. So we know that action is really needed. You know as business leaders that there's huge risks and costs if we don't change. It's going to disrupt supply chains, affect investment portfolios. It's going to affect people getting to and from work. We also know that Ireland can really avail of the new business opportunities that we're going to need. A whole raft of new products and services are going to require us to make this change. So in reading about where we need to go, a recent report by the European Climate Foundation is saying what we actually need to achieve is net zero by 2050. If we're actually going to meet what is required under the Paris Agreement, that is the direction of travel that we need to go. And this report was submitted to the Commission. So if we take it that that is going to be the European ambition, we need to look at where Ireland is presently. And within that report, they're saying that it is technically feasible. And as well as being technically feasible, it creates a prosperous economy, a healthy society, and a well-balanced society. When you look at the modelling within it, they're also saying that 75% of the progress that we need to make will be from technologies that are currently available. We just need to scale them up. The other 25% of progress is from known technologies that we actually need to make commercial. So all of this is seen to be within our reach. But we know that there are blockers. We know that Ireland does not have a strong reputation. But I think now is about resetting the dial. It's about resetting our own ambition. And I think business has a huge role to play within that. And if you look at what Irish stakeholders are saying, there were some fantastic comments coming out of the Citizens' Assembly on climate change. There's a hunger and appetite. I think leadership is one of the missing keys that we have. We've had our Divestment Act. Thomas commented on what's happening internationally. So there is a groundswell of movement. And I think within our panel, what we're going to seek to do is paint a picture of Ireland in 2050, set a high ambitions for ourselves. Let's be optimistic. But within that, explore what will enable us, what's going to block us, and I think talk about what role you can play in that transition. So within that, I'm going to invite my panelists to join me on stage. Firstly, we have Dr. Laura Burke, Director General of the EPA. Paul Farrell, Country General Manager of IBM Ireland. And lastly, Mark Foley, Chief Executive of Airgrid.
Laura, I'm going to start with you. So can you paint for us a picture of what this world of a net zero emissions economy could look like in 2050? And within that, to paint that roadmap of, well, what are going to be the big areas of change for us? And critically, what challenges are we facing? And I think it's, it's the first thing it's really important to put into the context of where, we're, where we are now. Um, and I suppose I'm working on the assumption that people know the Environmental Protection Agency. We're an independent public body. Uh, we have different roles with different stakeholders even within this room, whether that be a regulator, an advocate for the environment, or a knowledge provider, which I suppose is, is key in this scenario. And one of the key things that the EPA does is provide greenhouse gas projections and inventories on an annual basis. So that's saying where we're at, because unless you know where you're at, you can't really make plans for, for what you're going to do about it. Um, we released our greenhouse gas inventory for 2016 uh, uh, at the back end of last year. Um, and what that showed is that Ireland is increasing our greenhouse gas emissions by approximately 2 million tonnes uh, between 2015 and 2016. There were increases across all sectors. So there's no one sector that is bad or no one sector that's good. All sectors were increasing. Between agriculture, transport and energy, that's around three quarters of the emissions in Ireland. We exceeded our EU commitment, which was uh, for 2016, so that's the first year under the effort sharing decision that we've exceeded our commitments, um, as, and that's a negative. Um, and we also, if you look at the national policy position, so this is what Ireland Inc. has said we will do with regard to climate change, which is an 80% reduction in energy, built environment and transport. Um, if we're to comply with our own commitment to ourselves, we need to be reducing emissions by around 0.8 million tonnes a year. In fact, we've increased emissions by 2 million tonnes. So we are going in the wrong direction. That is this, the scenario that we are setting. Now, that's not just academic numbers, that's reality. That's things that are happening in the ground. And if you look, and there's already reference to storms last year, over the last 12 months, months, our environment and our climate really reminded us of the fragile nature of our infrastructure, our economy, our food production systems, and ultimately, by extension, our well-being, the well-being of the people in Ireland. This was a year where nature reminded us of who actually is in charge. And I think which focus our minds on what we need to do to stop aggravating climate change. We had storms, we had ex-hurricanes, we had a big snow, and then we had droughts. They had, of course, had environmental impacts, but although the costs to society are still being, and the economy are still being calculated, it was around 1.5 billion euros from the October storms alone. So this is not only an environmental issue, but it's also an economic issue, and it's a social issue, because people died during those storms. Lives were lost. And for me, 2018 may or may not be, but I think it has been a cognitive tipping point with regard to climate change and what our probable future would be if we don't take action. So I think that now you're talking about the future, and it's great being in this room with leaders, people understand that mitigation is essential, adaptation is essential, and anything else is unsustainable and it's irresponsible, knowing now what we know about the impacts of climate change. 
On the positive side, and coincidentally during the last year, we've also had, Ireland has set out some of the most ambitious plans and undertaken activities intended to mitigate climate change. So we've had, for example, the National Mitigation Plan, National Adaptation Framework. We've had two reports from the Climate Change Advisory Committee. We, the National Development Plan and National Planning Framework, recognizing the, the core role of a, a mitigation and adaptation to climate change. The 500 million euro climate investment fund and the report of the Citizens' Assembly on how Ireland can be a leader. So there is a strong desire to be a leader. But for me, the key thing is implementation demands commitment. Um, and otherwise, it's just words on paper. And transition to a low-carbon, climate-resilient, and environmentally sustainable economy by 2050 will require fundamental societal transformation, the allocation of resources, and sustained policy and behavioral change. It's great that we've moved out of recession as a country, but the link between economic growth and emissions is yet to be broken. And there's a role for everybody in this room to play in, in this. So we need to move from developing plans, so the plans and policies are there, but we now need to deliver on them. And all sectors, businesses, and citizens are going to have a role to play in this. And we need to convert aspiration into reality. And for me, all of you and all of us as leaders cast a long shadow. People look at us, at what we do, what you do, in your communities and in your businesses um, to transition to a low carbon economy. So really for me in setting the scene, that's a, it's, it's up to all of us. It's not somebody somewhere should do something. The thing is, what are we doing, all of us now? And within the doing something sentiment, Mark, I'm going to come to you, AirGrid, operator of our transition network, um, and possibly one of the positives that we can take in terms of what we need to have in place within the transition. So when you listen to Laura's words, what do you think will actually support business in this transition? And what would you perceive as the challenges that we're going to have to address? And I'll speak in a broader context, not just what AirGrid does, because we need to rise above our own sectional um, roles that we play in society. Look, Laura has presented in analysis in compelling terms, and it's time to stop talking about the problem and actually to put the emphasis on the solution. And I'm going to be very brief and I'm going to be very clear and very simple. Number one, we need clear targets for 2030. We don't have them at the moment. We don't have them for electricity, we don't have them for transport, we don't have them for heat, and we don't have them for agriculture. So you're not going anywhere. You can't construct a plan if you don't have an end goal. That's the first thing. The second thing we need to do is put in place the necessary policy that can enable action to take place. We need policy. We need um, regulation and we need legislation that allow uh, things to happen. And the, I'll give you one very, very simple example. I have offshore wind developers knocking on my door wanting to connect large megawatts of offshore wind onto the system. And we don't have a policy, a regulatory, a licensing framework in which to make that happen. Uh, and until we remove that logjam, we will not deliver what is very, very major quanta of new renewables capacity on the system. We're not in the sort of the small stuff here. We need major injection of new capacity between now and 2030 if we're to achieve anything approaching a target that is genuinely going to lead to a transformation and not lead to us going backwards. We in Airgrid um, are driving the, the technology to allow us to be able to handle unprecedented 
unprecedented levels of renewables on the system. And we're absolutely committed to that. We're absolutely committed to connecting more renewable technologies, solar and offshore, but the system has to be there to allow the developers to invest, put in development capital, get financing, and allow us to close the loop on, on, on this. So I think um, it's time for business to speak up. It's time for business not to speak in a sectional interest, but to speak in terms of the breadth of things that need to be done. And the consumer has a role. The consumer has a role because the consumer is going to start to change their habits, whether it's through the driving of electric vehicles, whether it's through the adopt, ad adaptation, or adoption, I should say, of heat in their homes. But we need to educate the consumer, and we need to provide incentives for the consumer to change their behavior. God knows decades of... Of, 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 you know, studying the psychology of people. We change our behavior when we're incentivized economically to do so. So I think we genuinely are in call to arms territory. Laura has eloquently um, articulated the problem. We now need to spend our time, our energy, the vast amounts of intellectual capital and resource on actually crafting solutions. Okay. And Paul, solutions, IBM, technology has been changing the world for the last hundred years, so the, the huge challenging task ahead, what do you see as the role of the technology sector within that? And um, what are going to be the opportunities that it presents for Ireland? Well, I think it's, it's threefold, Bernadette. The first one is, I mean, Mark is absolutely right about the need for targets, uh, but notwithstanding the need for national targets and national policy, you know, each of us in our own roles, in our own organizations, can achieve an enormous amount. I mean, we're, we're in the, we recognize the need for an environmental policy uh, over 40 years ago. Our first po corporate policy was produced in 1971. We've been reporting our environmental performance for the last 28 years. But we've surprised even ourselves at what can be achieved by setting a policy and setting ambitious goals. We've, in the last 10 years, reduced our greenhouse gas emissions by 43%, something which our own people thought was impossible. Uh, today, globally, 41% of our electricity requirements are supplied by renewables. Again, something that we beat our own target by five years. So we're, we're walking the, the walk ourselves, but at the same time, uh, we're reaching out to our customers to help them in our product set. We're making uh, our hardware much more energy efficient. The latest uh, range of Z-series mainframes is 27% more efficient uh, than the previous generation. But also the introduction of cloud. One of the things that is not talked about when we talk about the move to cloud is the massive energy savings there are to be achieved by using cloud over on-premise servers. Some reports have quoted it to be as high as 98% on a national basis through a move of only 70% of server capacity to the cloud. But the other point is that climate action and climate considerations have informed our corporate policy on development and acquisition for nearly 40 years. Um, a very simple example was six years ago we bought a company called The Weather Company and nobody could figure out why the hell we had bought the weather company. Today, the weather company is an integral part of the climate-relevant solutions that we're offering to our customers. I mean, one, one example that I was personally involved in over the last couple of years, uh, a major challenge for agriculture, for example, is the overuse of 
pesticides and fertilizers. Um, you only have to look at Florida over the last six months with uh, red bloom and the algal bloom in the canals there, or oh, sorry, the red tide and the algal bloom. Um, we're working with a large fertilizer and pesticide company here in Europe where they're moving their business model from being a producer of pesticide, selling by the ton, to offering what they term uh, crop optimization as a service. So instead of saying we're going, you know, our success is measured by the volume of fertilizer that we produce, what they do is they offer service to farmers. And they say to the farmers, right, we will tell you exactly how much and when you need to apply fertilizer or pesticide. And the way they're able to do that is they're using weather data, artificial intelligence, uh, big data uh, records of fertilizer use over many, many generations, combining all of those to be able to say to a farmer, we can, at a field-by-field -field level, minimize the amount of fertilizer that you need to use. That was never possible before. But the technologies that are available today between Internet of Things, between cloud, artificial intelligence, uh, telemetry, satellite telemetry and interpretation on an automated level, all of that is now possible. But what we do need, back to your point, Mark, is we need government and the various agencies up to European level to incentivize the end consumer to take advantage of those sort of technologies to the benefit of us all. Laura, when you listen to the perspectives of Mark and Paul, and you painted a very stark picture in your opening statements, do you have reasons to be hopeful? I think today, in terms of our theme, it is about getting to action. I think all of us need to rally together to actually find some optimism. So, where do you go to for that? And what would be your call to action to the CEOs in the room this morning? Um, I think we should all be optimistic. Like, you know, there's definitely, um, I think there's been a mood change in Ireland over the last year, whereas people previously had thought, yes, you know, God, when we sort out all these other things, we might kind of get to the environment or get to climate. It is very much a normal part of the conversation now around climate, what people are doing, and even, to, I suppose, to, to, to take on, on board what, what other things have been said about things like retrofitting homes, driving electric cars, an awful lot of kind of people are interested in it. Um, I think there's huge business opportunities, and it was really interesting to hear about that kind of the, the weather piece. Um, and it is for imaginative business leaders as well to say, okay, well, where's the opportunity for me in this? This isn't all about doom and gloom. This is about changing the way we work, changing the economy and society. I would absolutely agree around education and incentives. There are quite a lot of incentives there as well. And I think this, it's why, why people don't take up incentives we need to look at, making it easy for people, making it understandable. We were talking the previous session about education, absolutely. Um, there is a piece for me about not only what planet we leave for our children, but what children we leave for our planet. Um, to quote uh, 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 Timothy Smith of the Eden Project, like, are we educating our children to be the ones to take action as well? Um, and so I think there is consumer demand. With regard to targets, um, I suppose there's an engineer in me, we love targets, we love kind of, you know, micro, kind of saying, okay, kind of getting into the detail on what we're doing year on year. We do have a target that is set 
by Ireland Inc. of 80% reduction in electricity built environment and transport. That's there, that's there now. The question is, how do we get to that? Um, and I would agree with Mark in the, in the context of, you know, there can be an issue about every sector looking to the yeah. other sector. So I think there, is, there needs to be something at a sectoral basis. But these are targets we've set ourselves. It's not nasty Europe or somebody else imposing an unrealistic target on us. These are targets we've set as a country. So it really is about kind of now looking at actions to deliver on that. And I think it is about creating just a positive future and a positive world that we can all relate to. And to create that, I think we all need to start acting differently. So Paul, within your role as country manager, how is the role going to change? What do you think is going to be the future challenge for, for CEOs in this new world? Well, uh, I, I suppose what I'm acutely conscious of in a company that's over 100 years old and 60 years here in Ireland is that I'm a custodian of that business for a number of years. Hopefully more rather than less, but anyway. But in that context, that business is only going to be sustainable if the economy in which we operate is sustainable. And it is very, very clear from the couple of points I made earlier that we are focused on that sustainable business, political, and uh, ecological environment for us to succeed as a business so that I can hand it on to my successor and so on. To do that, I think the first thing is that as country general manager, uh, I have to focus. I have to bring sustainability, be that low carbon emissions on our part or helping our clients to achieve that. That's going to be front and center. Um, according it an equal um, importance as the, the P&L. Mm. Uh, that requires building it into the management system and being seen to treat it with that level of importance. Which brings me to the, the second point, which is about speaking. So speaking to my own staff, to be speaking to my management team, uh, but also speaking out, speaking to um, influencers in business, to my customers, to other business leaders around the table about the importance of these sustainability goals. And the final point is being bold. Because quite often we self-limit. And most of us in business here in the room will know that you really only succeed when you stretch yourself. I mean, at a very simple level, uh, two years ago, uh, we decided we were going to put in uh, electric vehicle charging points out in our campus in Mulhuddert. So we came up with a number, which was based on a, a sample of all of our staff. We then doubled that number and put in twice what we believed we needed. Within 11 months, we'd run out of EV charging points. You cannot get access to an EV charging point out there for love nor money. Now, we thought we were setting ourselves bold goals by doubling the numbers. In reality, we should have quadrupled it. And I think if we yeah. all set ourselves bold targets as individual companies and as a country, then we have a chance. Okay. But if we don't, if we self-limit, okay. we're dead. Okay. Um, Mark, you agreed together with Eric Ridd, and you've been working with Dennis O'Sullivan and Gas Networks Ireland as chairs of our low-carbon subgroup, which is, I think, about trying to get not just the individual activist, but the collective voice together. I and mean, then this is work that we've been doing as part of our leaders group. So 
when you're looking at that commitment, why did you decide to do it and what do you see as the benefits of the collective action of business? Well, firstly, why it's time business stood up and took responsibility. Um, the people have actually spoken through the Citizens Assembly and in some respects I feel business and policymakers are actually now chasing the people. And I think we should be very proud of the piece of work those people have done, so that's the first point I make. Secondly, I mean, I made comments about policy and needing to sort out policy, but last night I was an hour and 45 minutes in front of the Joint Directors Committee on Climate Change, and I did feel a really deep empathy for the politicians. They're wheeling in people like myself and others and looking for advice, looking for guidance and, and asking us to help them. Um, it's one thing for us to say sort the policy matters out, but actually we in business have a deep responsibility to provide leadership, to provide clarity, not to throw the ball over the fence and say it's over to you guys, but actually to work collaboratively and help create a roadmap that works for all of us. Mm -hmm. Business in the community is, is, is a vehicle by which business can actually, I think, speak with one voice okay. and take responsibility and yeah. walk the talk. And that's why I'm so, I mean, such a fan of this initiative. And I was really pleased because we have to announce how many people have, are making the great pledge. And the number seems to be going up yeah. every day over the last and, week. And, um, and that's a sign that yeah. people are starting to get it. Because a small anecdote, a year and a half ago, nobody was talking about climate change. Nobody in business or anywhere else. It wasn't on the agenda. It's now in the, on the agenda. It's now in public discourse. And we have a deep responsibility to stand up and be counted. Because in terms of closing off today's discussion, we're going to give you the, the pleasure of announcing the well, as, local... As I understand it, unless it's gone up again <laughs> and somebody's walked in this yeah. morning and made a, made a pledge, I understand that as of now, 43 companies, they're up there, have, have made the pledge to reduce their scope one and scope two emissions by 50% by 2030. And I think... That's only the start of walking the talk, because I'd like to think we'll be back here next year, or certainly within two years, talking about going beyond scope two emissions and starting to move into the supply chain. Thank you. And we have to say we are so delighted to have 43 companies formally signed up to the Low Carbon Pledge today. For us, this is a mechanism and a way to actually help companies show activism um, I'm going to wrap up our panel and I hope that from our discussion this morning that you're walking away with some more insights in terms of the business opportunities, what you can do within your own role, but I think fundamentally that collective message that we can actually reset the dial, reset the ambition in terms of where Ireland wants to go for 2050. So I'll close it with that and please another round of applause to thank our great panellists, Laura Burke, Paul Farrell, Mark Foley. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We're taking a short break for the Christmas holidays, but we will be with you early next year where we will chat one-on-one -on -one with CEOs about their changing roles in tackling today's societal challenges and explore the business opportunities of tomorrow.